Good afternoon. Okay, our passage is 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 to 12. And it's on page 1217. And I'm going to read it in the church Bible version, although I must be honest, when I first read it, I didn't have a clue what it meant, so I went and read it in the children's Bible, which was very helpful. But we'll read it in the NIV now. So from verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven." Even angels long to look into these things. This is the word of the Lord. So there are two words in this passage which really stood out to me the most. And I think these are hope and inheritance. I don't know about you, but what do you think of when you think of these two words? When I think of hope, I think of Star Wars a new hope. Obi-Wan Kenobi, you are my only hope. Or perhaps if you are a member of St. John's, you might think of our kind of mission statement to be a beacon of hope for Hoxton. Perhaps you are hopeful that England might win the World Cup, possibly. Perhaps you hope Uh, that one day you will be happy, you will maybe get married, have a baby, be successful in your career, own a house, go travel the world. What about inheritance? When I think of inheritance, I think of my grandparents, um, and my gran, in fact, is still alive, she's 102, Um, and I inherited her organ when she was no longer able to play it because of arthritis. But more than that, I'd say that I inherited music from her as a gift, a talent that has been passed down to me through genetics, but also just through um, time and presence, and that hopefully I'm now passing on to my children. Perhaps you've received a substantial or wonderful inheritance from a family member, 
or possibly one that's more of a burden. Perhaps you've inherited some characteristics from a parent, like the color of your hair, or the size of your nose, or your sense of humor. So these kinds of hopes and inheritances, they're all based in this world. And eventually, they will die with us. But I think the hope and the inheritance that Peter is talking about in this passage is a hope for an inheritance that we will receive beyond life. So let's have a look at the passage. This is a letter written by Peter, or so we are told. Apparently, there is much debate about this, but I don't know the answer. Um, So this was a letter that was written to Christians um, across Asia Minor, which is kind of Turkey today, maybe about 30 or 40 years after Jesus was here on this earth. And this was written to people who were scattered around this region. They were away from their home, perhaps a bit like being in exile, or perhaps a word more familiar to us today, like refugees, because they were living somewhere that they didn't belong They were kind of at odds with the culture around them. They maybe spoke a different language and they practiced a different religion. They weren't being persecuted as... But they would have been kind of really aware of their differences and, you know, might have been subject to... So, um, yeah, so they weren't being persecuted, but they might have been subject to kind of maybe suspicion, hostility. And I think even in the passage, you can hear it a little bit. Um, You've not seen him, but you believe in him. And you can sort of imagine people around them going, "Uh, what's this Jesus? You know, who's this Jesus you're talking about? You've not even seen him, but you believe in him and you love him. What's that? What's that all about? You know, and it also says that they've suffered grief in all kinds of trials. I think they were perhaps going through really difficult time, you know, um, in this, this country that, they, that, they weren't, um, that wasn't their home. Maybe going through disappointments, maybe loss, maybe disrespect, maybe intimidation. Who knows? But I think maybe a culture that's not that different from the one that we're in today. <clears throat> As Christians, we live in a kind of a secular world where we don't quite belong, where we're a bit different and we don't quite fit in. Again, we're not persecuted in this country, thankfully, but there is a kind of subtle pressure, um, an undermining of Christianity in the media and the world around us. You know, perhaps our friends and family who are not Christians might say, how can you believe in God when there's so much suffering and evil and pain in the world? And this is a really tough question. And it's hard to explain evil. We can't really do it. Um, It's easier, I think, to explain what it's not um, than what it is. So maybe evil is the absence of goodness, the absence of reason, the absence of purpose. Maybe it's just random destructiveness. And our non-Christian friends or family might say, oh, but you know, it's all God's fault. Why doesn't God just get rid of evil? But the problem is, if God got rid of evil, that would mean getting rid of us, of all humanity. And they also might ask, well, who created evil? But that's also a bit like asking, well, who created brokenness? Brokenness is not 
a thing that can be created. You know, if you've got an item that you own and it's broken, that's not how the item was created. The item was created in all its fullness and for its purpose. But the brokenness is not a created thing. And I think the world around us can't really explain evil either. It's not solved the problem. And even if there were no God, we would still have the problem of evil. There would still be suffering and cancer and death and pain and hunger. So, back to the passage. Peter just brings it back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because we know that God opposes everything that is evil, and we know that he took evil on, and he won through Jesus' resurrection. This was the ultimate victory of God, where goodness and life and love triumphed over evil. And we know we worship a God who has entered into suffering with us, who stands alongside us in it, but who also overcomes it and defeats it. And what does this give us? It gives us hope. It gives us hope that one day there will be no more suffering because life ultimately conquers death. Goodness conquers evil and God conquers suffering. And this gives us a sign of things to come, a little glimpse of how things will be one day when there'll be no more sickness or pain. Justice will flow, the oppressed will be set free. And why? Because we have an inheritance, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. You know, you might be poor in the present, you might be going through trials and sufferings, but one day you will inherit a fortune. And because of this, we can have a freedom and a joy because we know how it ends and we can have hope in our inheritance. Because I really think that we were made to live with hope, because to live without hope, I think life would become unendurable. I think in my mid-twenties, I went through a period of depression and where I think I experienced a little bit of this kind of loss of hope. Um, I realized that I had lost hope in you know, the things of this world that I wanted or desired or hoped for, but also the things after. You know, because if you've got nothing to look forward to, if your future is unknown, both in this life and the next, you will experience despair, and despair is just a lack of hope. But as Christians, we should be a people of hope. <clears throat> if we always remember the resurrection, we will remember that our inheritance is waiting for us, so we can live our life now shaped by that future that we are certain of. And I think as Christians as well, we should also be creating communities of hope. Um, and I think we're doing that at St. John's, where, you know, where sick people are occasionally healed, where the lonely find belonging, where the homeless find a home and the bereaved can find peace. Communi these communities of hope show us that love has won. And we are, like Peter says, filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for we are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of our souls. So let's be a people of hope 
building communities of hope, confident of our inheritance that will never fade because life has conquered death. Amen.